at that time in my life, I was also practicing uncertainty, which I think is something that we have to do. I moved to a new city, try to create a life for myself, try to create a business for myself, and then moved to Rome. And so I think I got really used to having to be adaptable and shift quickly so that I could respond to the certainty of uncertainty. What do you want? It's a simple enough question. What do you want from your life, from your business, from the work you do on a daily basis? What do you want from your home, your relationships, your community? It's a simple question, but it's not easy to answer. Answering this question, even imperfectly, can give you more confidence in managing and even embracing uncertainty. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how small business owners take decisive action to build stronger businesses. What do you want is not an easy question for me to answer. What I want is often influenced by what others have, what they do, and what they're going after. What I want is often an effort to prove that I'm good enough, smart enough, and gosh darn it, you should like me. Now, I've been working hard on making sure that I'm really honest when I answer this question. It takes some soul searching, and it also takes a willingness to admit that I've been on the wrong path. But it's been oh so worth it to spend some time with this question. Because when I know what I want, I can make much stronger plans for my life and business. I can pursue more decisive action. And I don't have to wait around for the approval or praise of someone else. Today, we're talking about how knowing what you want and discovering a clear vision for your life and business can help you navigate uncertainty and even embrace it. My guest is Cher Hale, the founder of Ginkgo Public Relations. Cher is full of incredible stories of figuring out what she wants and taking action to make it happen. From making a big personal move to going full-time with her business to embracing a bold new why for her company. We talk about why she made the move from working on the Vegas Strip to getting weird in Portland, how she used retainer clients to take her business full time, and how she rewrote some of the harmful mindsets she held. We also talk about her mother's erotic romance novels and how Cher was inspired to make a big shift in who she serves with her business and why. Don't worry, this interview is completely PG. Now, let's find out what works for Cher Hale. Cher Hale, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am stoked to be here, Tara. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking about uncertainty this month, and uh, you told me you've got a few stories of how you've made decisions, plowed ahead, despite uncertainty in your business or in your life. And I'd love to begin with the story of how you took your business full-time while also making a big personal move. Can we start there? Absolutely. And it's actually, I was thinking about this this morning before our call. And I thought there was actually a third moment here where I was Mm. at the end of a long-term relationship with my partner. Oh man. So it was like, I was in Las Vegas. I knew I wanted to leave and that he didn't want to leave. We were growing apart and I had been freelancing for probably at this point about six or seven months. And I just knew that if I wanted to make the move somewhere else, I'd also have to make the move to a full-time business because I didn't want to find a job wherever I went. And wherever I went, I wanted the chance to leave as well. So I was thinking like two or three months in one place just to see if I like it and then moving on if I didn't. So I thought 
digital nomad is like the way to go. I know how to do it. I have the skill set. So let me give it a try. Um, but it was also at a time in my life where I was feeling really anxious and actually really depressed, which was shocking for me because I had always been a very bubbly and positive person. But I had really felt like I hit a low point where I just wasn't in the right place where I, where I needed to be. Um, and I had to make a change. So for me, it felt very urgent. Mm. Yeah. Can you speak to that urgency a little bit more? And uh, and to your point, I don't think of you as an anxious or depressed person either. I think of you as someone very bubbly and outgoing and, and optimistic. And so I'd love to kind of dig more into that mindset side and what was going through your head, how you were approach or, you know, yeah, how you were processing that urgency despite having to make all of these big changes. Well, I was noticing that. So at the time I was working as a server in a restaurant on the strip. So it was like classic Las Vegas scenario, right? And around me, there were a ton of career servers and career bartenders, which is what we call people when they're going to do it for their entire lives, because you can make six figures on the strip easy. Thing yeah. on what you do. And I felt I looked at their lives and nothing to them. Like if it's what they choose, it's what they choose. But I was thinking, this is not what I want for my life. And Las Vegas is not where I want to live as a location. Like I want to have a big, beautiful garden and I want to go on hikes and I want to have rivers and lakes all around me. Uh, and my partner just wasn't interested in that. And we had already been growing apart. And that feeling of dread inside of me that I was missing out on something was really like coming up in all ways in my life. And I think the anxiety and the depression that surfaced as a result of that were just symptoms of that larger problem. And yeah. as opposed to, I, I, you know, people could think of them as being like negative symptoms or negative experiences. But I, looking back now, think of it as um, a red flag right? They were just flags telling me that something was off and that I needed to dig deeper and figure out what was going on inside of me. Super smart. Can you walk us through the decision-making process? Did you make sort of all three decisions simultaneously or did you kind of process one and then move on to the next? Walk us through that. I made the decision first to move to Portland. And I made that decision because I had been to Portland before. I had a couple of friends there. I was there for WDS, actually, like four years prior. Um, I liked the city, and I thought this could be a great place for me. And I actually, fun story, um, had talked to a psychic, just like off the cuff. And she had told me, you need to be in a place with water. And I thought, okay, like as far as validation goes, like that's one point you can take in. <laughs> like, why not? Um, and so I was considering it because of that. And I had talked to my then boyfriend about it. He thought it was totally absurd. Um, didn't like trust that I needed to go anywhere else. And I think after that conversation with him, it became very clear to me that we needed to end things because mm. there wasn't space for us to grow together. Uh, so that was the next decision. And then I had been freelancing at the time. I had probably about three or four clients and I thought this is what I have to do. I can work on landing maybe two more clients to hit my capacity. And then when I'm in Portland, I can just like totally work my butt off and try to make, make sure that I'm fed and that I have a roof over my head. Yeah. Well, tell everybody a little bit more about the business. Maybe tell us the business that you were getting into then, and then tell us how it's evolved over time as well. 
Yeah, it's very different from what it used to be. I think my very first freelance client, I offered her the repackages. They were like short-term packages about how to improve her systems to have a better client experience. Because I've, I've always been very systematic and organized. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, yes, we worked together on that package. And then she hired me to do like kind of like ongoing marketing admin work for her. And throughout that work and throughout conversations with other mentors or like business owners that I knew, I realized that there was a gap in the market. Everyone was either doing their own marketing um, and falling short because they were like in all these programs that told them, here's like your eight step roadmap to like, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollar funnel. Right. Um, But there was nobody in the middle helping to facilitate the execution of those plans. Mm. So they were doing a lot of learning, but no executing. And I thought, oh, like, I'm great on the back end. I can help with all of like the ongoing um, project management and execution. Like that's where I can fit into the market. And that's actually what I began as my first retainer service. So I began from retainers right away because I knew that I needed sustainable revenue if I wanted to survive. And I I think I capped that around six clients. And my I was in Portland for two months. And I think I... (laughs) I worked crazy hours every single day just to get the business off the ground and to prove concept um, and to build trust with my clientele. Uh, and from there, I realized probably about a year and a half in, I actually left Portland. I moved to Rome for three months. And then so I moved cool. from Rome to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I know, like all over the place. Are you still in Coeur d'Alene? I'm in Spokane now. So about 30 oh, minutes. Okay. To the West. Yeah. Yeah. I love Port It's so beautiful. Um, but when I moved here, I was thinking I, I want to switch over more to PR primarily because my clients had been asking me, Cher, can you pitch me for podcasts? And I thought, hmm, I have the skill set. I did an internship in college that was similar to it. Um, I pitched podcasters to land sponsorships on their shows. Like I have all the cold, the cold outreach skills and I have the the back end like system set up. Like why not? And within six to nine months, it was my number one revenue generator and my wow. number one referral system. So it was just like, it was very clear that I needed to do that kind of pitching. And then I added on eventually um, all of, like the usual suite of PR services. So like editorial, TV, um, on the stage, and then radio as well. Incredible. Well, we're going to talk more about the business as it is today in in a couple of minutes. But um, I want to kind of rewind just a little bit. You talked about one of your main goals when you got to Portland being building sustainable revenue. And I think that's so smart. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that decision making process, too, because it sounds like maybe the the impetus to create sustainable revenue was an effort to mitigate some of that risk, some of that uncertainty that comes from starting something new. Was was that your line of thinking? Yeah, I describe myself as a as being cautiously optimistic all the time. And I think <laughs> that really came out um, at the time of my life where I thought I had the foresight, luckily, of seeing lots of my mentors um, model their businesses in like, let's say, a coaching package or like a mastermind capacity. So I knew that they had set up systems where they could, they knew they were getting six months or nine months revenue in advance. And I thought, well, I'm not a coach. I don't want to be a consultant. Um, so what can I do in the meantime? And I think maybe one of my 
friends or clients recommended doing a retainer service. So I had a, like great support, I think, during that time as well, just to, to know what was available to me in terms of models. And then it felt like I could try this and see what happens. And to this day, I'm still doing retainer services. Beautiful. I love that. Um, so we, we've kind of handled the financial piece of it. Um, but I imagine that there were some other things that felt risky, that felt uncertain, that caused you to worry in this whole process, because this is serious life change here. What were some of the other things that you were focused on figuring out, focused on discovering in that process of, of kind of engaging with this transition and, and understanding what the uncertainty, understanding what the risk really was? Oh, there was so much because... I failed to mention that I had and actually still have a whole other business oh. called, <laughs> called The Iceberg Project, where I teach Italian to people. Uh, and I have a podcast for that and everything. Uh, and I started it in 2012, I believe. And it had taken off. It had been doing really well, but not well enough to sustain a lifestyle. So I had already known just from that experiment is what I'll call it, that a passive income model based on like low cost products was never going to work for me like long term. Mm. And so I remember in Rome, I had to make a very clear decision. Do I want to keep putting a ton of energy into the iceberg project? Or do I want to bet on myself with this marketing retainer style model and see what's possible? And it wasn't until I heard, oh, it was like Mark Cuban. And obviously we all thought about Mark Cuban, but in this one moment, he had a really good opinion. And he said, um, like, focus on your effort, not your passion. Is, mm. I think I think what he paraphrased, I could paraphrase it too. And I thought, oh, that's right. Italian is my passion. But where am I putting all of my effort? Like, where is my effort going to magnify for me? Um, and that was clearly in the marketing business. And so I really just let the iceberg project kind of go on repeat, let it like tend to itself and did minimal effort to it and put all the rest of my energy into building this business that I knew could actually stay in the lifestyle, like help me build the life that I want. And that was a pivotal moment for me. Um, it was when things really took off and I was able to scale the business and then pivot successfully. Uh, without really, you know, burning myself out or feeling like I was um, overreaching, which at that point I had been, I was very tired. <laughs> I yeah. was tired of working long days, like with, you know, bare minimum returns. Yeah. When you decided to take your attention off of the iceberg project and put it, you know, 99% or 100% on the marketing business, did you feel like you were giving up? up on something? Did you feel like there was a risk in that decision? It did feel kind of like, I wondered if I was being dishonest, if I was like, Ooh. if I was like not following my heart, you know, like, mm. you know, the whole narrative of like, follow your passion and the money will follow. And, you know, I think in that time, all of the, the risks that I was taking were doing more than teaching me how to have confidence in myself. They were also helping me unlearn the harmful narratives that had been holding me back for a very long time. And follow your passion is one of those narratives that I had totally bought into that I needed to unravel um, to move forward. Okay, well, we're going to have to talk more about that. Um, <laughs> 
I love that unlearning or that unlearning follow your passion was one of those narratives uh, that you wanted to rewrite or that you figured out you needed to rewrite. Are there some other ones that come to mind that you can talk us through, you know, what they were doing or, or how you approached rewriting them for yourself? Sure. There's the one of like you have to work 10 to 12 hour days to be successful, like the whole Elon Musk, Steve Jobs narrative mm-hmm. that I had bought into. Uh, there was definitely the narrative of you have to choose, like you can't have a business that makes enough money to sustain a lifestyle um, and also like live wherever you want or travel wherever you want. So there mm-hmm. was that that I was trying to undo as well. And I think that there was a lot of like, you're not a lar- allowed to charge higher prices given, um, you know, your experience level or the clients that you're working with. I had a lot of a lot of pricing narratives that I know people tend to struggle with as well. Um, and it wasn't until I hired, not, I didn't even hire, I found a business advisor in Spokane who works at the SBDC. So she's totally free mm-hmm. as like a service to the community um, who showed me exact pricing models that weren't just, you know, the whole story tear where they're like, charge what you're worth. Uh-huh. Like, like trust your gut and then tar- add like 10% to that. And I was just like, what kind of a nonsense is this? This is no way to like run a business. And so a lot of I think a lot of the narratives we have to unlearn um, have to start with a basis of like concrete knowledge. Um, and I think that we're missing that a lot in the online space. Yes. For as much as we talk about transparency, there's very little transparency. It's all, oh, I won't say it's all, but it is 98.5% manipulation of one sort or another. And the, oh man, so we are, we just finished up a month on money. And Mm -hmm. one of the things we did talk about in the, that course in that series was not charging, not charging quote unquote, what you're worth, because what does that even mean? And it's BS. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and it is its own manipulation, right? And the people who are saying that are saying that so you charge more so you can pay them more a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Oh, man. I, yeah, I, I just I really appreciate um, you unpacking those narratives with us because I think that one of the reasons that we hold on to those things is for a sense of control, for a sense of safety, and that's all a response to uncertainty as well, right? Like we're, we don't know what's going to happen next. We're grasping at some sort of solution, some sort of um, feeling of safety, some sort of feeling of control. And so we go back to these narratives that feel safe, even though, as you said, they're causing harm. Absolutely. And I think too, just reflecting on what you said now, is that at the time of my life, I was also practicing uncertainty, to think is something that we have to do, right? Like mm-hmm. I had, I moved to a new city, tried to find like a, try to create a life for myself, try to create a business for myself and then moved to Rome where I literally knew two people. I had no job there, like no, you know, set in network to like meet people and just like, tried to like live a life. Um, and so I think I got really used to having to be adaptable and shift quickly so that I could respond to the 
certainty of uncertainty because it was always going to happen, right? Pema Chodron says the ground is always shifting beneath us. We just don't notice it. Yes, I love that. You'll hear about how Cher's mom inspired her to take a bold new direction in her business in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. When things are always changing, it's hard to know what your customers or clients need for support. Their questions or priorities might change from week to week. So how do you create solutions that meet them where they're at and adapt to their changing needs? The best way I've found to embrace uncertainty when it comes to supporting the business owners I work with is by giving them an easy way to ask the questions that are on their mind right then and there. We've built a community that lets them put their cards on the table and get the support, ideas, or feedback they need right now, no matter how quickly their goals might change. We built that community on Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy to create a responsive, member-driven support community that also hosts your online courses or group coaching programs. It's a flexible, adaptable system for helping your customers get what they need, even if their needs are constantly changing. Plus, Mighty Networks helps your members connect and support each other too. It's the perfect way to build a flexible, adaptable support system for uncertain times. See for yourself by starting your own Mighty Networks network today, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Now, before we get back into Cher's interview, I also want to give you a heads up that there are some exciting changes coming to the What Works Network. At What Works, our goal is to help you discover what works for you and your unique business. We don't believe in cookie cutter solutions or magic formulas. That's why we curate the stories of entrepreneurs like Cher Hale, Sarah Avenir, and Lou Blazer. We want you to find new ways to experiment so you can build a stronger business on your own terms. Building a stronger business takes more than knowledge. It takes decisive action. We're reimagining the What Works Network to help you take decisive action month in and month out to build a stronger business. When you commit to growing your business with What Works, we'll guide you through focusing your action on a different area of your business each month. You'll create a plan as big or as small as you have time for and take small steps to finding your own brand of What Works. Throughout the month, you'll have the opportunity to get support in our private, dedicated community platform, as well as through a series of monthly event and tools for tracking your progress. With the What Works Network, you'll work on your business consistently instead of in fits and starts. You'll develop new habits and routines that support you in becoming a stronger business owner, and you'll gather with other experienced business owners to share what you're learning and how you're taking action. To get all the details on the updates at the What Works Network, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. Next week, we'll be opening the door so you can get in on all the action at the What Works Network. This will be the last time we offer membership at $4.99 for the year or 12 payments of $49. On August 1st, membership is going up to $9.99 for the year or 12 payments of $85. So now is the time to join and commit to a year of growing a stronger business with the What Works Network. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network to get all the details and add your email address to get your invitation.
All right, let's talk about how your business has evolved. So we're going to fast forward a little bit here. Um, you've shifted your mission and audience to amplify underrepresented and marginalized voices. What inspired that shift for your business? My mother, if you can Ooh. believe it. Yes. So my mother is an immigrant. She came to Michigan from Taiwan when she was 20 years old. Um, her father was in the Air Force. So she had him to kind of lean on when she came to America. But she spoke no English and didn't realize she was pregnant until she got here. So oh my word. She- when she raised me, she was my only example. We were in a small railroad town in Michigan, predominantly white. Um, I, she was my only example for what it meant to be both Asian and American and Black in America. And she worked in retail her whole life. And it wasn't until her 40s where she began to, like, I think, just kind of find herself. Um, she started to write romance novels, erotic romance novels based in Italy. Uh, because like me, she also loved Italy and Italian, the whole culture. Um And it was her dream to publish these books. But unfortunately, at the age of 49, she passed away from a heart attack. I'm so sorry. And I thought, man, it was like she has so much, so much richness to offer the world. um, And they won't get a chance to hear those stories because she didn't she didn't have a chance to to publish them or to amplify her own voice or to tell her story. And I was like, I have the skill set to do this. I had been in PR for a couple of years at that Mm. point. And my clients were all white, (laughs) all women, all upper middle class. And I was tired of telling the same life coach story over and Mm -hmm. over again. And I thought, what am I really here to do? Am I here to continue telling the same stories? Or am I here to amplify stories like my mother's? And I had to sit with that. Obviously, I was in grief for a long time. And for the first six months to 12 months, I thought, I know I want to do something with this, but I don't know what yet. Um, and then I began to explore, you know, what's what are, what are beneath the stories um, that my mother was telling? What, what did I learn from my time with her? And what do I want to, how do I want to live the legacy that she would have loved to see? And it became very clear that like these people and not just, you know, people of color, but also LGBTQ plus people who have disabilities, mm-hmm. people who have who are neurodiverse, like all of those people, then the media takes their narratives traditionally and tells it for them. And I was like, no, this is not how we should be operating. I think that we should take those narratives back so that those people can tell their stories for themselves and imagine how our world and our perspectives might change if we allowed that to happen. Love it. Love it. Uh, all right. Let's talk about how you actually made this shift. Um, so you said there was a long process of kind of thinking, sitting on this idea, sitting with it, thinking it through. I imagine that part of it was just figuring out, like, how does this fit into what I'm doing? But I also imagine that part of it was some questions about what that what else that meant for your business? What else might have to shift? What else might have to change? What you would do with all those white middle class uh, ladies who were life coaches that you had been doing PR for before? Um, what kinds of questions in that vein were you asking yourself during that time? I actually turned to my own personal life first because 
I don't know if you realize this when you were in Coeur d'Alene, but Coeur d'Alene and Spokane are very white. Traditionally yes. <laughs> very white. And so like, I am the color. And I used to actually count the number of people when I went out at night who were like people of color. And if it was like above 12, I was like, we're in tourist season. <laughs> this is like how it was in Coeur d'Alene. So I thought, Cher, you can't keep complaining about not having people of color in your life if you aren't actively looking for them. So oh, like, wow. walk your talk, honey, and go and find them. So I did. I made it a true effort to diversify who was around me, um, both with the businesses that I patronized and the friendships that I that I maintained. Um, and that initial starting point was a huge step forward for me in solidifying whether or not I can make this pivot to this new client avatar. And what's more, um, I joined this like business networking group in Spokane. That was like for millennial women. It was pretty cool. And they were offering, they were asking members if they wanted, wanted to do workshops. And I thought, I could do a workshop. And then I wanted to pull back out and I thought, Cher, <laughs> you complain all the time about not seeing enough women of color in business amplify their voices in the community. So do you want to walk your talk again? Like, and I thought I have to be the color that I want to see in Spokane. I can't like wait for somebody else to do it. And so like making these, these small incremental changes in my life really helped create the bedrock or the foundation for what would become the pivot in my business. So good. So let's talk about the, the, the business side of the pivot then. What were some of the changes that you made first to start shifting things in that direction? I started reaching out to other business owners of color and just asking to have coffee chats. Um, whenever I was in a group and I noticed one, I would just say, hey, I'm looking to expand my network, especially because I'm looking for women of color. And it was completely straightforward. Um, there aren't enough of us in this space, and I want to know more of them. So I, I had several, I had, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 coffee chats with women of color really began to expand my network and the, the diversity of conversations that I was having about the business space. Um, mm -hmm. And I found that the more that I talked to those people, the more referrals I got from people like them or from mm. them specifically. And beginning to build and curate and maintain those relationships just to build that goodwill between us um, really helped begin to bring in diverse clients. So at first it was, it wasn't easy, right? The first like six months I had, um, still white women, but maybe they were LGBTQ plus. And I was like, great, mm -hmm. that's diversity for me. I can count on that. And then it was maybe, um, someone who was Latina who like looked white, but she was Latina. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm happy with that. And now we're at the point where I have um, black men and women coming to me, knowing that this is what I do specifically. Uh, and it finally feels like still no Asians, still waiting for Asians. <laughs> but like, it's me. One of my business goals is to have like one consistent Asian client. Never, I don't know. It hasn't happened yet, but um, I do feel like after, I would say it's taken about a year to really get the word out and to build like a solid referral network, um, saying again and again, this is what I do. This is who I serve. This is what I'm passionate about to attract those people and have them sign with me. Gotcha. So it sounds like at first it was more of an implicit shift in your positioning and more about the sort of back end effort that you were doing. And that then over time, you felt more and more comfortable making it an explicit shift in your positioning. 
Absolutely. I think at around six months, about when I had made this shift, I hired a designer to do a rebrand for me. It was time. Mm -hmm. And she walked me through a really deep process of just shaping my new narrative of who I was serving and why I was doing it. And that was really fundamental and helping me like come out, so to say, like in in Mm -hmm. a new um, established way. Yeah. Has the shift in positioning shifted the vision that you have for the business in any way? A hundred percent. I felt like when I was just doing PR to do it, um, that I didn't really have a vision. I didn't know where I was going. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I felt really lost. And I was like, I'm making money and it's good money. So like, I'm happy to be living this way. But like, there was something deep missing inside of me. I could feel it um, where it just didn't feel like anything mattered, like truly mattered. And now that I'm serving this audience and doing what I do for them, everything feels like it matters. I mean, especially right now, we're at such a pivotal time with conversations about anti-racism and about oppression. And and I just, it feels like it's never been a better time to, to serve these people, to help them amplify their stories and their narratives. Um, and it's it's given me the vision for, you know, do I want to create some kind of like scholarship sponsorship fund so that people of color who can't afford my services can still work with me in the future. Like what do I want to do for that? How do, how do I want to give back? Um, and it's, it's added just a new level of purpose and passion, honestly, going back to passion yeah. into my business. I, I often wonder if, if passion comes after effort and not before it. Yeah. What do you think, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to answer this, but what do you think your mom would say to you now, seeing this shift that you've made, seeing what she's inspired for you? What do you think she would say to you? Oh, God, I'm tearing up. It's such a deep question. Um, I think she'd be so proud. Like, she was always very vocal about being proud. She loved the Iceberg Project. She loved being able to come on tours with me in Tuscany with all of, like, my language immersion students. And she was always very happy about, like, the life that I had built for myself and, uh, like, how far my ambition and my vision had taken me. So she wouldn't be surprised. but she, And she, she would be vocal about being proud, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure too. Um, All right, we're going to make one more shift in that conversation. So for a completely inappropriate segue, um, you have not only been amplifying other people's voices, you have chosen to amplify your own voice in a more strategic way recently. You've been quite literally stepping on bigger stages. What inspired you to put yourself out there like that? It was going back to that first workshop I did where I was Mm. like, I have to be the color I want to see in Spokane. It became clear to me that I had to be the color I wanted to see in my communities, in my world, in in my networks. And that if I wasn't speaking up, I was part of the problem, right? We say Mm -hmm. representation helps people see what they can do. And if I have both the skill set and the capacity and the bandwidth to do that, then I should be doing it. Um, and I didn't want to perpetuate uh, any kind of system of oppression anymore. So I thought I have to step out and be the leader or the role model that I wanted to see when I was growing up. Yeah. And that became very important to me. Yeah. Tell us about, maybe tell us about your first speaking gig it, with this with this in mind, um, how did you, you know, what 
what event was it? How did you reach out to them? What did you propose? Tell us the logistics, but I also want to know like what was going on in your head while you were doing it? Well, I would say my first speech, this is at She Podcast Live. So like this is after the workshop that I did. Mm-hmm. We were at She Podcast Live and uh, our mutual contact, Erica Corday, was speaking. And uh, one of our friends was supposed to speak at the conference and then dropped out because mm-hmm. she had a family emergency. So we asked her if she would be okay if we pitched a panel to go in her time slot. So like the night before the panel, we actually got together in a group of us. It was all women of color. And they said, "Share. here's our idea. Can you pitch this for us? And you can be the moderator. And I said, okay. So I like learned about them in 15 minutes flat, like all of their expertise that we brought up to the table, crafted this pitch. Um, earlier in the day, I had, I had like connected with one of the organizers who planned the programming. Mm-hmm. And was like, hey, would you be cool if we sent you this pitch? And she was like, yeah, go ahead. Sent her this pitch on the Whova app. I think so what we were using at the time mm-hmm. for conferences. And then the next morning, she was like, absolutely, this was a beautiful pitch. Like, you're in. And so we hosted the panel that day. And then I got on the plane five, like, I left the plane five minutes after the panel. <laughs> and I remember during that panel thinking, like, I had attended other sessions there and I wanted to make very clear. I was like, we're all women of color and this panel is not about being of color. Mm-hmm. And that was like a fundamental, I think, turning point for me and just like where I stand um, and how clearly I wanted to convey my opinion about like not being tokenized or feeling yes. tokenized or using color to get, get a cookie in, you know, in whatever format of content you're you're creating or promoting, um, and I felt like we had truly stolen the spotlight uh, and made the best use of it. That's that is absolutely incredible. Um, where are you going next with that? Uh, not not necessarily because events aren't really happening right now, but just what's your vision for how you want to continue to show up on stages? I think it comes down right now to podcasts and editorial features. Mm. So I've had a couple of things go live on like Business Insider, um, other podcasts like this. And I think that that's the kind of stage I want to be in right now. Uh, My clients tend to operate more in those areas anyway. I'm finding that conferences for me don't convert well. Like Mm -hmm. they they look good on the website for cloud and credibility. But when it comes down to the bottom line, they don't make a big difference. They actually end up hurting it. (laughs) I'm sure you've experienced this. So I'm looking for that kind of platform. And I'm also thinking about things like, you know, um, like LinkedIn video series or or places where I can be a teacher and of service in like an evergreen format. Gotcha. Um, One of the questions that is kind of constantly banging around in my brain right now is around what are you what are you willing to or what are you uncompromisingly committed to? And so I'd love to hear from you with all of this change and growth over the last couple of years, what right now do you feel uncompromisingly committed to? I feel uncompromisingly committed to helping the people around me go to the next level of their visibility. You know, I have Mm. so many incredible diverse women of color in my network And whether they pay me or not, and it's my absolute 
prerogative to make sure that they are the next industry influencers. And I do all that I can every day um, to be generous with my my knowledge and my time to help them make that happen. Beautiful. Uh, One more question, much easier than the last one. Uh, What are you excited about right now? Oh my gosh, herbalism. I'm so (laughs) into herbalism right now. I cannot stop buying herbs. My boyfriend is like, we don't have any more room in our pantry. What is mallow leaf? Why is why is this mugwort under our pillow? Like, what are you doing with your time? And I'm like, I can't be stopped. I am going to be an herbalist. <laughs> I love when people answer that question with something completely unexpected and non-business related. It really makes my day. <laughs> Yeah, if you need please, I can I got your back, right? Like anything you're anything ailing you, I have a solution at this point. <laughs> that is incredible. Cheryl Hill, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your passion, um, and for sharing all of the shifts that you've made despite uncertainty, despite the big questions, and, and just really how much you've leaned into each next step in your life and business. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, before we close out here, I want to come back to the question I asked at the very top of this episode. What do you want? Cher has been intentionally asking herself this question for years and then committing to decisive action each time she finds the answer. The truth is one of the reasons we get stuck about what our next steps are or what we should be focusing on is that we just don't know the answer to the question, what do I want? Not only compounds the uncertainty we feel. Today, Spend some time with what you want and see how that shifts your perspective on the other questions in front of you. Find out more about Cher Hale and Ginkgo Public Relations at ginkgopr.com. That's G-E-N-K-G-O-P-R.com. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Our production assistant is Kristen Runbeck. Find over 280 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter on building a stronger business at explorewhatworks.com.